guys are in total luck this morning. This is my homily, all right? I had a lot going on yesterday, and this is my only Mass I'm preaching today, and, and I still have a lot yet going on for the rest of this day. The Holy Trinity, the Feast of the Holy Trinity, this is like a, a day dedicated, a Sunday dedicated to God. It's like, what are we doing? You know, why, why is there a solemnity? dedicated to God. Doesn't, every time we go to Mass, isn't that, whole, isn't that dedicated to God? And the answer is yes. The reason for this feast day is because there was so much confusion around the Holy Trinity, the one God and three divine persons. And this confusion went on for, uh, well, in the Catholic, on the Western Europe, the Catholic Church, the confusion went on for eh, four centuries, five centuries. In the East, in the, in the Orthodox churches of the East, it really went on for about a, the first millennium of the church. So this is the thing about Christianity. One of the things that makes it so difficult is the idea that, that um, uh, there would be one God and three divine persons, a Father, a Son, and the Spirit. And that they would be each divine persons, and that the one person could leave the one God, come to earth, take on flesh, be crucified, died, and rise from the dead. That seems, and if we hear that for the first time, it seems preposterous. It's just a willing suspension of disbelief is what you have to do to believe that. Like, there's nothing in nature that would make one believe that something like that could happen in supernature, beyond nature, in God's nature. So in the ancient world, the Jews alone believed that there was one God. They were correct. There was one God. The pagans or the Gentiles believed that there were multiple gods. And most people, or almost all people on earth, believed that there were multiple gods. You might have your favorite, but you believed that there were other gods too. And even the Jews for a long time believed that there were other gods. But that Yahweh, I am who am, is a jealous God. And he's the only God that we can worship. But the Jews thought that there were still other gods out there. It wasn't until the Babylonian captivity, about 500 years before Jesus, that the Jews began to realize there are no other gods. There's just our God, and he's the one God of all things. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and he's saying, I'm equal with the Father, it causes the Sanhedrin, the high priests, or tear their garments. No one's equal to God. And who, who are you making yourself out to be? God? And Jesus says, yes, I am God. And you will see me coming on the clouds of heaven to judge the living and the dead. This is way more than the Jews could, could handle. And it was a lot more than the early Christians could handle, too. Because the early Christians kept falling into this heresy. And the heresy stemmed around whether or not Jesus is God. If Jesus is God, then What does it mean about there being one God? The Christians understood there was one God. How can Jesus be God? And and yet there is still the Father and the Spirit. And there was this great controversy. And there are various heresies that one way or another touched upon this. And so the church had to formulate and did by the early 300s this realization that there is one God and three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we started saying that with the sign of the cross too. And little toddlers are taught how to say the sign of the cross as we're drilling it into them that there's one God and three divine persons. And as soon as we forget that, then we lose our faith. We lose Christianity. 
So it's very, very important. And so this feast day, I think, has been around for a very long time to drive that home, that there's one God and three divine persons. Okay, some attributes of God. And I, just as a brief and quick catechesis. So if I was to ask the question, when did God begin? A lot of people are confused about that. They have to stop and think. The answer is God never began. It's a trick question. God is eternal. He has no beginning. He never began. He's always existed. And he has no ending. At some point in his eternity, he's always existed. He decided to create. Hmm. Today I think I'll create light. Today I think I'll create the heavens. Today I think I'll create the earth. Today I think I'll create angels. Today I think I'll create everything on the earth. Today I think I'll create time. Today I'll create space. God created everything that simply is, and God had no beginning. That's kind of, we can't, in time and space, everything has a beginning. Time and space itself has a beginning and an ending. We have a hard time fathoming how you could never begin, that you've always existed, eternal. People and angels are immortal. We have no ending, so we share that in common with God. But we had a beginning, and so we're not eternal, we're immortal. Okay, some other things about God. And then I'm going to get into the real takeaway for us. God is infinitely good, infinitely loving, infinitely knowledgeable, knows every little thought that you're holding in your head right now, and every little thought you've ever held in your head from the time you were in your womb, in your mother's womb. And will until the end, well, there is no end to you. In heaven, he'll know your thoughts too. He's all-knowing of all things. He, he knows every little molecule and every little tree and every little pine needle on every tree behind this church here, let alone everywhere in the world. And all-powerful, if I didn't say that already. So he's infinite in all of his attributes and all that's good. And if we were just to boil it down, God is good. Uh, let me see. Good, true, and beautiful. These three things. Good, true, and beautiful. Okay. But God is something else too. And this begins to really touch on us as human beings. God in his one being dwells within a communion of persons. Meaning that for God, communion is essential. It's not important. It's essential. Without it, there's no life. Without it, God isn't God. Without the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, God isn't God. Communion is essential. It's not negotiable. It's not, oh, I'll have it today and not tomorrow. It's, for God, it's at all time and has been, well, from the beginning of which God never had. What that means for us being made in the image and likeness of God is that we too are communitarian. That whether we like it or not, we exist in communion. We exist in communion with God or not in communion with God and what the consequences of that mean for us and in communion with the people on earth and what they would mean for us if we didn't. So we're not just created, you know, out of nothing in the, in, you know, standing in a field one day and there we are fully developed. No, we came from a dad and a mom, a biological dad and a mom. And then for almost all of us, we were raised in a family. And the human race doesn't survive without that dynamic. But we see that communion 
in all of God's creation. So God in himself is a communion, so he sees to it that all of his creation is in a communion too. But for human beings, it's something extraordinary because we alone are made in God's image and likeness. The angels are not. The angels have no physical form. They appear to people in the shape and form of a person so that that person can relate to them. But they have no body. They have no shape. They're pure spirit. Pure spirit. But God apparently does. And we know he does in Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. So here's this thing, is that we really can't have God, a relationship with God, without the communion of his church. And this is a really, really important takeaway. That Jesus didn't come and say, I want you to know me, love me, and serve me, and on Sundays I want you to go fishing in a boat and enjoy yourself in, in the nature that I created. He says, no, on Sunday I want you in church to worship me with others too. And if you're going to achieve salvation, it's from the church that I bestowed priests who will bestow baptism and confession, the remission of sins, and the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Without the church, you will perish. That's really important. For God, all of his creation is a communion. And the same holds for his church. So when Jesus creates his church with the 12 apostles, and we heard last Sunday where he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And now from these 12 priests will come the entire church, for better or for worse. So pray for priests. But there is a communion. It is, we need to be in communion with those 12 priests because they're in communion with Christ. He commissioned them, etc., And Jesus will pray for the communion of the twelve priests at the Last Supper. He'll pray to the Father that they may be one as you and I are one. Because he knows in our fallen human nature, pride and jealousy and and, uh, all kinds of bad things set in that cause division, etc. But his prayer and his desire, obviously, is for communion. So this this is this takeaway. Is that you and I have salvation because of God, because of Jesus Christ specifically. So there's a communion. But more than that, we have that communion with Jesus through his mystical body, the church. And by that I mean the Catholic Church. He didn't create tens of thousands of Protestant denominations, each with their own different sets of beliefs, etc. He created one church, one faith, one baptism. And we are to be in communion with that one church. And we are to practice our faith and our relationship in Jesus Christ and through him, the Father and the Holy Spirit, through that one church on earth. And if we think we can achieve salvation outside of that, then you have to ask yourself, why do you think that? Because Jesus makes it clear in the New Testament that you don't achieve salvation outside of his church. So this is the good and the bad of family life. Family life can be beautiful and glorious and good, and it's essential. Without marriage, there is no human race. And that's actually going to be a pastor's column because they found that our population has not been replacing itself by birth since 2008, the recession in 2008. And the reason is because people aren't getting married. That's a whole other kind of deal. All right, so I kind of lost myself on that. But coming back to this, families can be... They're essential, and they can also be wonderful. 
But they're wonderful in kind of a painful way, aren't they? When I think of my own family, my own childhood, etc., you know, when I look at the big picture, what I really appreciate about it is what I became. It wasn't so much the time there, although there were times that were just absolutely wonderful. As a small child with bigger siblings who'd come home from college or come home, you know, for Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever, and now they were married with nieces and nephews and I was still a teenager, that was really a big deal. That was really great to have them come home. But of course there was the natural family divisions and conflicts and the failures of imperfect people like myself and my parents and my siblings that make family life difficult, etc. But I don't exist without one, nor do you. And the same is true in the church. There are times when we have to show up and we don't feel like it. Just like moms and dads have to prepare meals for their kids and they don't feel like it today. Or do laundry and they don't feel like it. Or the guy or the mom has to go off and work for the man and they don't feel like it anymore. Same holds true in the church. That maybe it's not so much, oh, it feels so awesome to be here in the church right now. But in hindsight, looking back to what the church has given me, I realize I could have never become who I am without her. I could never have achieved salvation without her. And so, and then knowing that, we go, then I really need to commit to her. I need to really surrender to this family, the church. Because God is a communion of persons, and everything he's created is in communion with him and within their own little speciation of whatever it is. And there's really no communion with God in the end without communion within his church. So thank and praise Almighty God, specifically Jesus, for creating the church with these 12 flawed men and their successors. To thank him and praise him for it, and like your own family, recognize that it's made up of human beings who are fallen and sinners and far from perfect and will at times cause pain and difficulty. But in the end, is our one and only family. This is the only one we got. And in the end, this church makes us a better human being and enables us to enter into the never-ending communion of eternal life with God in heaven.